Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. We have a great and awesome God, don't we? It's great to be able to sing and to give glory to His name. If you have your Bibles and you would turn in the book of Daniel with me, I would appreciate that. We continue our study in our series uh, entitled The Joyful Journey. And uh, when you think about what has transpired in the book of Daniel, um, we see again um, the Jews have been thrown into exile. And so this journey, could they say this is a joyful journey even in the midst of the hardship and trial? And then we look at that in our lives and how that may apply in our lives. And so we'll look at Daniel chapter 5. We've been trying to cover a chapter each week, and, uh, and that's a big task. Um, but uh, the first six chapters are pretty easy, and so um, we'll hit chapter 6 next week, and then I'll be away for two weeks. Paul Crow will continue his series, and uh, we'll preach for two weeks. And that way I have two weeks to prepare for chapter 7 through 12. Anybody who has read chapter 7 through 12, you know that Daniel 7 through 12 is quite challenging. And uh, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek to take two weeks to prepare. But I'm excited as I've already been working through some of that. And I hope that you've been reading through the book of Daniel to be in the text, to be in the word, and to allow God to continue to use it. Uh, Before we dig in and and we read this uh, text together... I want to just take a moment and thank each one of you who gave of your time and your energy, of your resources for this last week at at Vacation Bible School. Um, There's not a whole lot of churches around our area that do Vacation Bible School, um, and it's kind of a slowly dying breed, which that's okay. There's new things that God will arise to continue to teach uh, young children his word. But we have an awesome church family here, and I just really appreciate I know a lot of people are on vacation. Um, They headed out as soon as they could to get away and recoup uh, because it is such a long week. But uh, we we averaged, I think we had 74, 75 on Sunday, but then we were in the 80s uh, all the rest of the week. And to be able to have that impact on over 80 children and to be able to share the word of God and be able to build in their lives and to love them and to care for them. I, I applaud you. Uh, for those of you who were able to give of your time and your energy and your resources, thank you. Thank you for giving of that in, in that way for God's glory and for God's honor. And uh, we pray, and I hope you will pray and continue to pray that the seeds that were planted in those hearts will continue to germinate, that it will continue to grow, and we'll see the fruit of that uh, in the years to come. Um, it was neat. I was talking to one gentleman, and he has brought his his kids uh, for years now, and uh, and he was saying that he was talking to his pastor um, and saying that he was coming, you know, Friday to the picnic, and uh, he had to go, you know, take his kids and come to the picnic, and, and his pastor actually came to our vacation Bible school when he was a kid, he told him, which was just awesome to hear, and uh, that's really neat just to hear, again, the, the generations of continuing to teach the word of God and and how that continues to make an impact. And so thank you for each of you who gave and those of you who were at home praying as well. I want to take a moment and acknowledge all these people in the second row. Um, First, it's good to have my daughter home, Lene, and uh, she brought some friends, some rowdy friends from Skyview. Um, So if they nod off or fall asleep, it's okay. Uh, You guys, I always tell people, I've always told people from 
the beginning when I started preaching, if you're going to fall asleep, don't fight it, okay? Just don't fight it. I don't, it's painful for me to watch you, you know, people that, and it just hurts. Just rather just lay your head and it's okay. Just go, go at peace. Uh, don't fight the jerking. Uh, but uh, we appreciate you, uh, Skyview Ranch workers, and the impact that you're continuing to have on those young lives as you continue to share uh, the good news of Jesus and model that before them each and every week. So thank you guys so much for all your hard work and and we're glad, uh, we're glad that you brought Lene uh, home for a weekend. Thank you. So took all of you in order to do that. So, And then we have some friends. Uh, I have some friends that skipped out on their church down in Rittman that, uh, that I was able to speak at their marriage retreat. And uh, something good must have come from it because uh, a couple of the couples are here with their families from uh, Hillside down in Rittman. And so we're glad to have you guys as well. Thank you. Would you guys stand with me? And we're going to read Daniel chapter 5. But before we do, would you pray with me? Lord, we want to thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. You are a great and awesome God. There is none like you. We owe you our lives. And Lord, yet there are times where we um, can become so focused on ourselves, or focused on good things, that we miss out the great things. And so, Lord, this morning, we just pray that as we have gathered in this place to worship you, we pray that your spirit would work in our minds and our hearts this morning. Lord, may each one of us give you that access. Lord, there's times that we put walls up. There's times that we don't want to deal with things. It's easier just to shove them in the back corner or to forget about them. And yet, Lord, today we come before your presence and before your word and Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us, that we would do business with you, that we would meet with you, and that you would use your word in a powerful and a wonderful way this morning. And Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want to we be challenged. We want to be encouraged. And Lord, there may be some that don't want this, but Lord, we know we need, we need convicted because we're sinful men and women. That as we stand here today, we are in constant need of your great grace. And so we thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your forgiveness that you offer through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, bless our time together as we open up your word. May you be glorified through it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that they had taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and of silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the chanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. 
the king declared to the wise man of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourselves and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast." And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He fed grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose all of your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this was the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. 
Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around a neck, his neck, and a proclamation was made about him, and that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So this morning, pretty simple text in, in some ways. In other ways, it's challenging. When we start off from the very beginning, we'll see here that um, a lot of uh, historians, a lot of great biblical scholars um, have wrestled with who is this Belshazzar. Um, in the text, it, twice it will label him as uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. Um, but King Belshazzar is actually the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And so where the struggle was, was there were not written artifacts that could prove what Daniel was writing here until uh, about 100 years ago when they did some archaeological digs and they found upon some um, clay um, I forget canisters. They don't call them canisters. Sorry for those of you who are big into that, but it was uh, a round canister that labeled uh, King Bel Belshazzar multiple times. And so um, when we look at this, there's a couple things just to start off from the very beginning. Number one, we have to remember, and I hope that you hold this true. I keep saying it, and I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record or, um, I don't even know how to relate it to today, but your phone keeps going off over and over again. Here's the, 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 the important aspect as we come and look at this passage. God's word is truth. It always has been and it always will be. Archaeological digs help to reinforce that. They don't make the Bible true though. Okay? So when you find evidence... That, that what is being said in the text is truth. Know that the text is always true. All right? And so what we hear and what we learn and what we see, whether it comes from science or whether we see it in history or archaeological digs, over and over again, those items prove that the word of God is the truth. They don't make it the truth, but they show us and they reinforce to us that this word of God is the true and living active word of God. Thank you for a few of you. Listen, this is what we base our lives on. All right. And so if you, for a moment, if you think that this text isn't real, or you're going to pick and choose what's real and what isn't, you're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. And so when we come to the text, Daniel chapter 5, there are some historians, some theologians that have said this book must have been written not by Daniel, but somebody else, and it was recorded wrongly. Yeah, that's a word I just created. Wrongly, okay? It was wrong. It was with error. See, the Bible has error. No, the Bible doesn't have error. And so why would we look at a text like this? Because it reinforces again, and it should build our confidence that when God says something and when he has orchestrated it, we should take great confidence that it is truth and it is, it is right and it is what we have. It's a living and active word of God able to pierce the hearts and even the bone, the marrow that is in within our very soul. 
this is alive. This is not just another book. This comes from the living and true God. So when we come to the text, how do we explain this? Well, King Belshazzar, he is the king, the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. I love these names. Let me explain it. Let me back up, okay? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was Nebuchadnezzar's father, and he ruled uh, from 627 to 605 B.C., and then at 605, that's where the beginning of Daniel uh, begins, all right? Nebuchadnezzar takes over. His father dies. Nebuchadnezzar was down, and history tells us that he was down near Egypt, and he was fighting. Here's word that his father has passed, makes a quick jaunt through uh, Jerusalem on his way to Babylon to take over as the king. And so Nebuchadnezzar rules roughly from 605 to, six, to 562, and so during that time, Nebuchadnezzar, we see throughout the text, different periods of time where Nebuchadnezzar um, is, is, is challenged with all the different Babylonian gods among, among them. Who is this God of Daniel? Who is this God of the Jews? And so we see here um, that Nebuchadnezzar, in the end of chapter 4, leaves the scene and, and with this faith. I, I believe in, in my my understanding of the, the text and how I see it, I don't believe Nebuchadnezzar believed in chapter 3. I think he, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he just put uh, the God of Daniel with all of his other gods. But there was something miraculous that took place when Nebuchadnezzar was out like an ox, feeding in the grass and the dew that, that hit him every morning. He saw and realized who the true and living God was. And he lifted up his eyes and he acknowledged who that God was, the one true living God. And I believe that Nebuchadnezzar followed the Lord from that point on. He acknowledged at the end of chapter four, he said, the king of heaven, and he praised him and he honored him and he extolled him. When we come to this text, we see then Nebuchadnezzar as he's passed on. Um, we even see in, in some other uh, Old Testament texts, uh, his son, evil Murdoch, which is a pretty cool name. I'd like to be called that, but Evil Knievel is probably the closest of our time, but um, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Evil Murdoch, uh, led Babylon from 562 to 560. He was Nebuchadnezzar's um, blood son. And so in that, uh, he led for two years, but he was then assassinated after two years um, by his brother-in-law. All right, um, so near Glissar, um, came and assassinated evil Murdoch. And so then near Glissar reigned for six years. And this was the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. So you have his son, you have his son-in-law, his son-in-law near Glissar, um, he dies after ruling for roughly four years. His son takes over uh, and that's Labasti Murdoch. Again, they're named after the false god of Murdoch. You can do some study in, 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 uh, on that. But so near Glissar's son, so this would be Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, all right, takes over. And so he's ruling, and he only rules for a few months. History tells us that then he is assassinated, which is great. It kind of helps you back up and, and again, when you walk through Nebuchadnezzar and why he's so paranoid 
in chapter 2 about his dream and, and this big statue, and he wants people to make known to him his dream and its meaning. It helps put it in perspective. These kings knew people were after their lives. And so they're a little, they're a little always watching their back, all right? And so we see this now grandson that took over. He only rules for a couple months, and then another son-in-law will come and kill him and assassinate him. So we have Nabonidus, or Nabonidus, yes. He ruled from 556 to 539. He is Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law, another son-in-law. And so if you look at the line, the way the family tree runs, there's a son who rules for two years, all right? And then the son-in-law knocks him off. He dies after a few years, so his son takes over, all right? He's knocked off by another son-in-law, all right? So you have a son, son-in-law, and son-in-law. Again, why is this important? I'm making my point. You'll get to it here in a minute. The son-in-law, all right, he is the father of the king that we see here in our text in chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar, all right? Uh, Nabodonus is the father of, of Belshazzar. And so when the text tells us that King Belshazzar, all right, is the king, and then we look at history and we say, well, there isn't a whole lot of records for it. We can actually trace it back if we do a little research and don't just depend on Google for everything, but to actually dig, we start to see, you know what, this makes sense. Because of then also the text telling us when King Belshazzar has this uh, writing that appears on the wall, the, his promise to those enchanters and the, 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 those who magicians and all those who will make this, this writing known to him, the promise is that what? That they'll be given purple, right? Linens, you get to wear a gold necklace, and you will be what? Third in the kingdom. Why is that important? Again, this isn't a mistake. It helps reinforce that the word of God is true. Well, it reinforces the fact of what's going on right now. In history, we see Belshazzar is in Babylon. He's inside the city, and he's leading and ruling. He's second in command, though. His father is still out there, and he's out reinforcing all right, the boundaries, and he's trying to make his country stronger. And so as he's out and about, Belshazzar is in the city of Babylon. He's second in command. He has this problem and he says, hey, if you can help me out, I'll make you as third in command because he didn't have the authority to make him second because he wasn't second. And so as we look at the text, if we do a little digging and a little study, it all makes sense, right? So it reinforces what? That the Bible is true. And so as Belshazzar is on the cusp of, of this time in history where he has seen generation after generation of, of those rulers of Babylon before him being executed and being murdered. Here he is, and he's in this city. What's going on around him? Well, actually, history tells us that the Medes and Persians have been outside fighting, and they have been fighting to get to Babylon. And on their way to Babylon, they actually fight Belshazzar's father, and he realizes that he's going to lose, and so he flees. 
And so he runs away, and who, who's left? Well, Belshazzar is in the city, and again, I ask you to do this, and I beg you to do it. Do some study on, on Babylon. You'll see that this, this place was a fortified city, all right? You could have run a highway on the, on the walls around it. There was a place where they said that you could fit four chariots on top of this wall. This wall was a fortified place. There was no getting in and coming out. And so they were at a place where here Belshazzar knows there's an army that's out there, but he has the, the pride and the arrogance to think they're not going to come and get me. Why is that? Well, because they had enough food in Babylon that they would last for years. All right. The, the, there was no way the armies were going to get in. All right. There was enough structural, um, the walls were high enough. There was enough protection, enough guards, everything that they needed to survive for years inside of the city gates they had. And so when there's an army on the outside seeking to get in, here's Belshazzar. And what we do, we pick up at this section now where Daniel is recording for us because I believe there's such a pride and arrogance to him. And we see that very clearly. There's the enemy outside the walls and he puffs out his chest and he says, we're going to throw a feast and we're going to celebrate. Now, why did he do that? Maybe to pick up morale of the people. I don't think it was just for that. I think it was pure and utter uh, arrogance. I think he wanted to show nobody can defeat us. We're in charge of the greatest nation in the world, Babylon. And so that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar, he makes a great feast for thousands of his lords, and they drank wine in front of the thousands. What's interesting is, um, as I read through this, I always try to do my work first, and then I, then I read through different commentaries. And I'd encourage you to do that too. Don't read the commentaries first. Do your work, do your research, do your study, write down your thoughts, then go to the commentaries. What I found in the commentaries is where some of them would even write about drinking wine. I'm not here to tell you uh, that this text is about drinking wine or not drinking wine. All right, I, don't, I think that misses the purpose of it. I will tell you this, I found it very, very interesting that yesterday I was reading, um, I read different online newspapers, and one of them that I read is the BBC just because I think it gives us a different perspective on life than just our North America. But there's a new study that came out and where they said everyone below 40 should not drink alcohol. I'm like, hmm, that's really interesting. I'm telling you to go read it, do a little research yourself. It is very interesting in what they are saying. I don't think these are Christian people. Uh, I don't think it's coming from a biblical mindset. It's from their study of observing people and what alcohol does to people. You take it for what it is. The text tells us here that they're drinking. And part of their drinking is leading them to, to go beyond where they have their normal thinking. All right, And they're drinking and they're celebrating while the enemies are outside and they think we're invincible. And as they drink, Belshazzar gets this great idea that, hey, we're going to use the best of the best. What's the best of the best? Well, it's the Jewish gold and silver. We need to get those things out. They're just in that back storage, the black closet. 
how nice would it be to really celebrate this feast with some gold and silver and drink out of these great cups? And that's what they do. So when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought. And so we see that the king, his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. And so they brought these golden vessels. They drank the wine. Verse 4 tells us as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of who? The gods of gold, of silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. What we see when you read the Old Testament text over and over and over and over again, you see nations and people from different places around the world that will worship and try to place God into some physical form. And what they do is they choose to worship God made in the images out of gold and silver. The text tells us out of bronze, wood, stone. So here they are in this festival. They're celebrating, they're mocking Israel's God, and they praise the gods of these physical things. I love the text here in verse 5. What's the first word there in verse 5? Suddenly or immediately. I love it when God takes action, don't you? God says, okay, enough's enough. Uh, this is where I draw the line. And he says, immediately the fingers of the human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. How cool would that have been? I mean, cool in one sense, really crazy in the other. And we see, again, anytime there's an interaction with the almighty God, there is fear involved. Look at the angels. Whenever an angel shows up, what's their first words? Fear not. Why? Because it's overwhelming. And here, the living God writes upon the wall, and there's great fear. Even though there isn't an understanding of what the message is, there is a great fear because there is something extraordinary that is taking place here. And so as this finger appears before the king and is writing this writing on the wall, I wonder if he thought, man, I have had way too much to drink. See, I think he knew. He knew he wasn't imagining this. He knew this was real. This was a real encounter and something was taking place. And so as his verse 6 tells us, the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. Why would his thoughts alarm him? Why would his color change? I believe down deep inside, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he had done when he had pulled out all of those vessels meant to worship Israel's God. And he would treat them in such a rebellious way. I believe he knew that he had done wrong. Verse 7, the king called loudly. He said to all of his, his spiritual advisors, listen, come here. I need you to tell me what does this dream mean? And when he tells them, he says this. Again, don't lose it in the text. Verse 7, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. We know why he's saying the third ruler of the kingdom, right? Remember our little history lesson. Hopefully you followed it. Then all the king's wise men came in, verse 8, but they could not read the writing. 
or make known to the king the interpretation. So nobody could tell him. So what was his response? He was greatly alarmed. His color changed. This dude was like techno color. He kept changing color, I guess. The text tells us over and over again, like you become pale, you become white. I don't know. I don't know what other colors he turned, but we see that Daniel's recording for us. Like this guy is greatly perplexed and alarmed. And not just him now, notice the others around him too. So who shows up on the scene here? Verse 10. Verse 10, it says the queen. Now, I believe this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. All right. The queen mother would be better translated in, 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 our, uh, in our text here. All right. Um, this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife who will now offer uh, to her uh, son-in-law some wisdom. And this is the wisdom he, she offers um, she says, O king, live forever. Net, do not let your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of gods were found in him and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king. It's interesting that she would pause and say, listen, your, your, your father or your grandfather, there's not a term for grandfather here. And that's why it says father. So don't let it throw you off and say, well, well we, it's calling him his son and his father because there isn't a term here for grandfather or, or, or grandson, all right? Your father, the king, meaning the one who you've heard the stories, the one that was before you, the great king. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar was the one who built this great empire. It was under his rule that he made it even stronger and even greater and even mightier. And then there's been this great disdain over these last couple years, these last few years, great turmoil in the kingdom. And so the, the, the mother queen says, listen, I know that there is a man who can help you. And his name is Daniel. Because your father, your grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of the magicians. He put him in charge of all of them. Why? Verse 12, because he has an excellent spirit, he's knowledge, understanding to interpret dreams. He explained riddles and solved problems. This Daniel, interesting, again, there isn't, there is, there's a clear understanding as we walk through the text of Daniel, why names were given at certain points. All right, she calls him Daniel at this point. Now, I don't know if she was a believer in the, in the true Yahweh or not. But I do know that she saw evidence and she heard evidence from her husband. Think about it. Her husband roamed around for seven years acting like an ox, eating the grass, and was out in the field. And then one day he comes back. What a story. And so here he is, Daniel. She says him by name, whom the king named Belteshazzar, which goes back what? All right, this is the king. He's going to name him after the king's God. But he first used, she first uses Daniel in his name, meaning God is my judge. Interesting here, again, in our text, God is my judge. And when you see judgment taking place, we see it in our text. And so I don't think it's a mistake here that Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, 
was called Daniel, and she said, now let Daniel, she doesn't say let Belteshazzar, let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation, the God who judges. So Daniel was brought in before the king, verse 13, and the king answered Daniel, hey, uh, interesting how he greets him. You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah. Uh, I don't think this was a complimentary thing, all right? This was, hey, your name's Daniel. You think your God judges? Hey, aren't you one of those that we defeated Jerusalem? We defeated your nation and your God? Remember, whenever you defeated a nation during that time, it went in close association with the gods that you worshipped. And so you defeated those gods if you took over that nation. And so in, in, in comparison, in a way, it's almost like Belshazzar is saying, listen, Daniel, your God judges, but aren't you one of the exiles that we took over your nation and defeated your God? It's not an enduring comment. I believe he's trying to set Daniel in his place and let him know who he is as, a, as king, even in his perplexed state. He says, you are Daniel, one of the exiles whom, my king, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdoms are found in you. And he tells him, hey, I brought in these wise men. They weren't able to tell me. But I've heard that you can give the interpretation to solve problems. So verse 16. Now, if you can read the writing and you can make known the interpretation, you will be clothed with purple and have a chain around your neck of gold around your neck. And you shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. And so we see here, then Daniel answers. His reply is this. Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. See, what we're going to see in the text moving forward, when we see, especially in chapter 7 through 12, Daniel knows what's coming. He, he knows because of chapter 2. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar was the, the, the gold head. And that gold head was, there's a transition being made here. And it will go down to, to the breasts and to the arms of silver here. And that transition is happening, and I believe that Daniel knows that time has come, all right? That transition will take place. And so in response, Daniel is saying, hey, you want to give me uh, this, this nice wardrobe? You want to put gold around my neck? And you want to make me third in command, really? I think Daniel knew that before the night was over, that third in the command wouldn't matter at all. Because there was going to be a new king. So he says, listen, I don't care about all that. He says, nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. If Daniel was at age 16 at the start of chapter 1, Daniel is roughly 67 years old at this point. 67 years old, and he's appearing before a king, and the king kind of puffs his chest out and says, hey, I just want to remind you who you are. You're in exile, taken, and your God was defeated. Hey, by the way, can you tell me what this means, this writing on the wall? And Daniel, after 67 years of being underneath or being underneath King Nebuchadnezzar and ruling uh, in charge of all the, the wise men of that time, then being forgotten during these sons and sons of laws, kind of been put on the back shelf, now has been brought forth and said, Hey, would you please make known to me this king? This, this, this writing on the wall. And Daniel obliges, and as we see this, Daniel says, listen, let me give you a little history lesson. Before I tell you what the writing is, I want to tell you what you already know. The text will tell us that. 
Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Because of the greatness that he, he, that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. Daniel acknowledges this of what we've been seeing before in the text, and that is, who is God? Who is the living and true God? It is the one who sets kings up and who takes them down. And so once again, Daniel is trying to, in the history of not just for the king, I believe here, King Belshazzar, but for the writing for those who are in exile, as they're reading and hearing this, as they've been scattered abroad, that this would be great hope for them, that God rules over all kings. God is the one who has set up Nebuchadnezzar. And part of that was because the people didn't obey God. And so God said, if you don't obey me with me and you don't walk with me, you don't listen to my commands, then I will judge you. And sure enough, he did. And he used Babylon to do that. And here he makes known not only to Belshazzar, but I believe the early readers and also for us today to remember who is the one who sets the kings upon the thrones. Who is the one who is in charge of all? It is the one most high God. It is him alone. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made to that like a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He fed grass like ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that here's this phrase again, we've seen it a couple times, several times in the last couple chapters. The most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, notice what he says in this text now in verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. Belshazzar, this wasn't some new history lesson for him. No, Daniel is pointing out for him, you knew this truth. You knew who the most high God was, and yet you've chosen to reject it. You've not only chosen to reject it, but you would take his, the, the items that were used to worship him, and you would use them in your festivity to worship other false gods. Come on now. Do you not see that this is not going to end well? You've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and of gold and of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Daniel just says, hey, I just want to let you know the gods that you're worshiping, they don't see you, they don't hear you, they don't know you. Let me remind us today, there is only one true living God, and he sees us, and he hears us, and he knows us. All the rest, they don't know you, they don't hear you, they don't see you. So if you want to knock on that wood and hope it doesn't happen, I'm sorry. It don't hear you. There is one true living God, and Daniel makes it known, you are not worshiping him, but the God in whose hand is your, in your breath, is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. 
What an awesome phrase, but the God in whose hand is your breath. That's the title of our sermon today. Do you know that not just King Belshazzar, but each one of us that lives today, God has our breath in his hand. I hope that doesn't scare you. I hope that excites you. Hope that gives you peace. Hope that gives you comfort. The Bible tells us that our days are numbered. They're already written down and there's nothing you can do to add to them or subtract from them. God is the one who holds our breath in his hand. And there's great peace and there's great comfort. There's great joy that can be taken from that. That's our God. Daniel is telling the king, listen, you've not honored him. You've, you have failed in your test. You knew what was right. You've heard of it from your grandfather. You heard the stories. How even in his pride, how God humbled him. So Daniel explains the dream. Very short, actually, and what actually is transpired when we look at the text, there's lots of verses used building up to the interpretation, but there's just a few. Verse 24, then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. Verse 25, and this is the writing that was inscribed, mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter, meaning mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Let me remind you again, God's skills are always just. They're always fair. When we look at the New Testament, we see, as Paul writes in Romans, that we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God, meaning we can never make the scales weigh in our favor. Old Testament text says that our, rat, our good works are like filthy rags. And so when we look at the scales and this king, he has been found wanting. The truth is every one of us are born that way. We're born sinners, born in need of a savior, and born in need of the blood of Jesus. This last phrase, Perez, it means your kingdom is divided and is given, given to another. And we know the Medes and the Persians are at the doorstep. History tells us that they actually break into Babylon. Did you know that? You know, as fortified as the city was, they rerouted the river and they went through and uh, they came in underground and they defeated them. That very night, the text tells us, Belshazzar gave the command. He clothed Daniel with purple and chain of gold was put around the neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. But that very night, not three weeks, not three months, no, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And then we see a transition to the next king. So the gold head is now done. And now we move to the silver of what chapter 2 has told us. Belshazzar is now done. Darius the Mede will receive the kingdom. And the text tells us he's 62 years old. So how do we take this and live it for our lives. Uh, hopefully you've heard some application as we've gone along, but the first question that I want to bring before you this morning is who do you worship? Who do you worship? You can easily say, oh, I, I worship God. Well, I, I think it's easy for us to sometimes, sometimes just say that, say that with our words, but I encourage you again to look at your life. What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your money what do you spend your energy and your resources? 
as you live your life today and this week, what are you, what are you enamored with? What gets you excited? What spurs you on to get up every morning out of bed? Who is the God who created you and placed you here on this earth? Who do you believe that God is? And do you worship him? The Bible is rich and it tells us who our God is. There is only one true living God. The God of Daniel is the true and living God. And he desires to have a relationship with you. That's why he sent his son Jesus. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. To take your sin and my sin away. So that we can live forever in heaven with him. But the beautiful joy is that we don't have to wait to heaven to enjoy a relationship with Jesus. We get to enjoy Jesus today. I get to worship him today. I get to serve him today. I get to honor him and please him and try to walk with him the best that I can today. I don't have to wait till heaven. See, the world has caused us to think that, that it's lied to us, which we know Satan's a good liar, right? He is a liar. He's the thief. He desires to destroy all. And so the lie is that what is before us is greater than what God has offered to us. And let me tell you, that is not true. There is one true living God, and he offers you life with him forever. You can experience peace. You can experience joy. You can experience all the blessings of having a relationship with the true and living God. What we saw Daniel had. What we can enjoy today. So who do you worship? I was reminded back in Joshua 24, 14, when Joshua was leading this nation of Israel, uh, he took over from Moses and it came to this breaking point and where Joshua would stand up and he said, listen, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I wonder today, do we need to take that stand today? As we read about the account of, of this king who over and over again would, would just desecrate the living and true God and yet was humbled. How many times do I have to be continually humbled and where I could finally just stand and say, nothing is better than worshiping the true and living God. Is that you? Is that your family? 860 years later, after Joshua writes that, we see that there is no other God like the God of Israel. That's our God, the God of who sent his son, Jesus, the God who we get to worship today and tomorrow until he calls us home. So who do you worship? Is it your bank account? Is it your job? Is it a mate, girlfriend, boyfriend? Who do you worship? I pray and I hope that you'll find the great blessing of worshiping the one true living God. The second point is this, how do we acknowledge, how do you acknowledge the one who holds my breath, your breath in his hand? How do you acknowledge him? What are you doing today? What's happening in your life where you can truly acknowledge the one who holds your breath in his hand? Don't just slough it off. Don't just say, oh, man, that was a great sermon. It was a great worship service. Great to be in the house of the Lord. Yes, it is great. But our lives need to continually acknowledge and to be reminded 
and to be able to give glory and praise even in the minute things of laundry or, or praying or, or going to my job or the little small things that seem like they don't really matter. They can all acknowledge our, our understanding and the truth that God holds our very breath in his hand. We can give him glory for that. So don't become so conceited. Don't become so prideful. Don't think that your life doesn't matter either because it does. God has placed you here and he wants you to acknowledge over and over again and to display for the rest of the world to see and to hear that he is the one who holds our breath in his hand. So let's run to him. Let's go to him and go to his word. He is a merciful and gracious God and he loves us. He loves you, and he wants you to spend time with him. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. I pray, Lord, in response here, as we are able to lift up our voices, that we would hold fast that Christ is our sure and steady anchor. That even as Daniel, the one whose name is God is my judge, he continually acknowledged and spoke for you, Lord. He acknowledged that you were the true and living God. And even in the face of adversity, he would proclaim your truth. Lord, we need to do that today. We need young people middle-aged people, seasoned people. We need to stand for this true and living God today. So help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. May we continually be in your word, knowing and gleaning your truth and applying it to our lives, not living after the world, not pursuing what the world has to offer because all of it is fleeting. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They all lead to destruction. But you offer us hope. You offer us peace. You offer us joy. May it be found in us, Lord, that it is truly joyful to serve you this week. There is joy in serving Jesus. May we proclaim that to those around us humbly, tactfully, but boldly, Lord, so that others may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.